Durante from Canzoniere Grecanico Salentino. This is 3CR855 on your IM dial. Please subscribe. The community is important, the spirit of community is the most important thing, so subscribe. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Hello, welcome to Thursday Breakfast here at 3CR. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning, Grace. Um, here at 3CR we would like to acknowledge... Um, that we are on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We um, acknowledge the continued resilience of the First Nations people on the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We would like to acknowledge sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty was never signed and pay respects to our elders past, present and emerging. What's happening on the show today? Well, at 7.10 we've got Hope Matumbu coming in um, and so she's a health Promotion and Research Project Officer at the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health. And she's going to be talking about uh, a project that aims to support culturally and linguistically diverse women living in regional Victoria to access mainstream family and domestic violence and sexual assault services. And then what do we have at 7.20, Grace? At 7.20, we're going to hear from Adam Noble. Um, So he interviewed so John Langer actually caught up with Adam Noble who's part of the Yes campaign so he was the digital coordinator of the National Marriage Equality campaign and they talked about the use and importance of social media in the Yes campaign um, and then um, Hope, Mat- Hope Matumbu is going to have another reappearance actually um, so she's going to be speaking to Maya who's a soul singer and songwriter based in Melbourne and they'll discuss the upcoming launch of her debut EP Feature Soul and then at 7.45 we're going to hear from Jane from the Vixen Collective um, so she's going to talk about the use of family vi- violence funding um, for sex work abolition organisations um, and then Shakira Hussain uh, will um, – we're going to look at some questions uh, behind the assisted dying bill that passed uh, last week. Um, should it be scrutinised more? Is, is it that progressive? Perspectives from um, Shakira, who's written extensively on the topic. Mm. Um, there's also a bit of a theme that runs through the first half of the show anyway because um, it's the 16 days of activism at the moment. Do you know much about those days? Uh, all I know is that we're doing some stuff on it um, and I actually don't know that much about it. I guess it's this kind of thing that comes from the UN. Um, so it's 16 days talking about gendered violence and promoting activism around the world about you know trying to stop gendered violence mm-hmm. in multiple communities. Um, so it's like a bunch of events going on at the moment. I know that Women's Health West and Women's Health in the North are doing an activist pledge where each day there's like a different thing, that you, like a different challenge that you can do. So one of them is like learn what the patriarchy is and then try and explain it to other mm. people. 
So I guess it's kind of like a promotion way in trying to get people engaged in the issue. Mm. Um, and I'm glad we're talking to um, a variety of, of people. So mm. it's not just um, sort of a government perspective, um, especially from people, um, uh, especially with programs that aim to support people from um, culturally and linguistic diverse backgrounds. Cause mm-hmm. I think that's um, pretty important. Yeah. Darabin City Council is currently undertaking community consultation for the Northcote Aquatic and Recreation Centre, NARC. If you are currently using, have used in the past or don't currently use the centre, we want to hear from you. To provide feedback, please go to yoursaydarabin.com.au forward slash NARC or collect hard copies from NARC Reception or Preston Customer Service Centre. Community consultation closes Sunday, 10th of December. A 3CR supporter. This year, thousands of people seeking asylum will spend another holiday season incarcerated in offshore prison camps and Australian detention centres. Men, women and children are separated from their families, living in horrendous conditions and have no certainty of their future. Join the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre to let them know that they are not alone and we hear their plea for safety. Sign the open letter to deliver a message of hope to people seeking asylum and refugees by Christmas. Visit addmyvoice.org.au, a 3CR supporter. Great Voices CDs on 3CR. These CDs are a unique collection. Now you can go to 3cr.org.au and you can order online all the 20 CDs, 15 issues, for $160 postage pay. Or check the individual issues and read each track on it. Every major singer is on there. You'll be excited and entranced. Go to 3cr.org.au now and check out the wonderful Great Voices CDs. Join us to mark 100 years since the serenading of Adela Pankhurst, imprisoned at Pentridge for her anti-war activities. Serenading Adela, a street opera, recreates the summer night when hundreds of supporters sang socialist songs and cooeed over the prison walls. Come along to Pentridge on Sunday the 7th of January or catch our December preview. It's all free. For details, search Serenading Adela or email serenadingadela at gmail.com. A 3CR supporter. The Solidarity and Defence Fund is a democratically controlled fund that materially supports activists who are facing legal sanctions or other problems due to their stand against injustice and oppression. All contributors who pledge at least $5 a month can take part in collectively making decisions about how the fund is used. Your contributions support and grow movements for social justice and defend activists in the fight for a better world. For more information or to join, go to patreon.com forward slash solidarity defense fund. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash solidarity defense fund. A 3CR supporter. You are invited to Sampari Exhibition, celebrating West Papuan culture. Sampari, 
a series of events supporting the West Papuan people's goal for self-determination. Art, discussion, spoken word performance, debate and Melanesian food and culture. Friday, 8th December at 6pm till Sunday, 17th December. ACU Gallery, 26 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. Go to Sampari Exhibition Facebook or DFAIT West Papua website. Sampari, brought to you by Federal Republic of West Papua Women's Office, a 3CR supporter. Disability Day 2017, 3CR, from 7am to 7pm on Sunday, December the 3rd. Most of the shows you know, with lots of surprises chucked in along the way. Go to 3cr.org.au to check out the grid for the day. You'll enjoy it. Okay, Okay, so now we have uh, Hope Matumbu, who's... Joined us into this, in the studio today. Uh, hey. Good morning, Hope. Morning. How are you? I'm um, good, thank you. So, Hope is a health promotion and research project officer at the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health. So, can you tell us a bit about the centre? Yeah. Um, well, uh, the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health is a um, is a not for profit. And um, I guess uh, we do our work with uh, immigrant and refugee women. So we're a national, sorry, we're a statewide service. Um, And a lot of our work is um, with, um, yeah, as I said, immigrant and refugee women. We've got a number of different programs. Um, and um, we do a lot of work in terms of training, so co- cross-cultural competency, and we also do a lot of training in terms of having bilingual health educators, um, so working with community um, in their language, um, in community-led um, initiatives uh, to try and um, foster things like um, health literacy and and health promotion amongst uh, immigrant and refugee communities. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. So um, at the moment, you're working on a project that aims to support culturally and linguistically diverse women living in the area. Or in well, in regional Victoria, actually, yeah. uh, to access mainstream family and domestic violence and sexual assault services. So, tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, we recently. I mean, we've been so fortunate. It's really great that um, within the last couple of months, um, you know, within the last couple of years, really, there's been a conversation around. Um, prevention of violence against women and family violence and I think that as as a nation and even globally people are taking a stand against um, and realising the impacts of of violence against women Um, so we've been really fortunate to um, be working in this space and being able to to address um, some of these issues um, within um, immigrant and refugee communities Um, so the programme that I'll be working on is called called Making the Links, and it's a program that will be working with um, regional immigrant and refugee communities, recognising that um, that there are a lot that, that there are a lot of factors that um, I guess sort of exacerbate some of the issues that you find um, 
um, more widely, I guess, in um, in the family violence context. Um, so we'll be working in four regional areas, Bendigo, Ballarat, Mildura and Swan Hill. And um, I guess it's, it's really exciting because um, I guess – um, in some ways, some you know, there's not been a lot of mapping that's been done in terms of uh, communities that are out there and services that exist. So it'll be really great to go out and find out what um, services exist and what communities are out there and try and tailor activities that are, are, are suited to to their needs at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so how how would the pro- program look like? So, I suppose. It- Already, you've got a variety of languages um, and cultures. So, yeah. so how, how would you tailor it to to each community? Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So we've got we've got bilingual health educators um, who uh, work in a variety of of different languages. Yeah, that represent a variety of different languages and and cultural groups. And so, hopefully, I mean, you know, Victoria is like a very multicultural, multilingual place. And so, hopefully, we'll definitely have. Um, bilingual health educators that would be suited to to the language groups that we find there. Of course, there's always room for um, more surprises or like new or different sort of um, ethnic or language groups. Um, but the program would be on one hand sort of working with service providers um, to sort of um, help them in terms of cultural uh, competency um, because I guess, you know, regional areas, one, are under-resourced widely. Um, but um, as as well as that, um, I guess, you know, some of that, um, the, the huge influx of um, immigrant and refugee populations, I guess a lot of... Um, regional services haven't seen um as as much diversity as maybe urban urban areas or, or what we're used to working with um here in, 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 in Melbourne as well. So it'd be really great to sort of come in and, and work with service providers on on issues around cultural competency. And on the other hand, working with um immigrant and refugee communities to sort of identify what family violence looks like. Um, in the Australian context as well, and, and taking into account some of those factors that I was mentioning um, in terms of like um, people's visa situation and, and that sort of thing, and sort of um, yeah, working to sort of help uh, people who to identify what family violence can look like as well, or if they're experiencing sort of family violence, where to seek help as well within their local context yeah so just coming back off the top of what you've said um how important is it uh for women from diverse backgrounds uh, to have a program like this yeah well i i think that it's it's um incredibly important um especially given you know i i guess if you sort of look at intersecting factors like you know the 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 length of time that you've been here family support and of course in 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 a regional context this can be exacerbated again because we know that people living in regional settings experience like a high level of of isolation or there's already like a, a scarcity of of um appropriate services so if you sort of throw in um a cultural you know um 
cross-cultural sort of context as well, it can even make it harder for, for people to seek support um, or women and children to seek support. So I think that it's really important, and especially to have um, activities that are in language as well. I mean, you know, we already know that... Um, widely health literacy just even amongst people that are have been you know bo- that are born and raised here health literacy is is quite low as well so it's quite important to also have things that you can understand that are in your language and things that you've identified because um pathways don't always look the same and um and and, and there's different reasons why 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 people um can i i, I guess I, I guess either stay or leave or navigate some of these um, relationships and, and these different factors that that influence that. And it's important to, to, to not forget that. So I think it's really important that immigrant and, and refugee women have um, a service or activities that, that understand where they're coming from as well and understand some of those intersecting dilemmas, um, you know, yeah, yeah, and priorities in their life as well. Yeah, and so we, we we talked about sort of like the 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 woman or female aspect um, of of programs like these. Uh, what about uh, for men? Would there be training for men on like what uh, family violence looks looks like and that sort of thing? Yeah. Um, well, yes. Um, I guess I guess within our services we work with um, um, people who identify as as women. Um, I guess sort of acknowledging that um, family violence dis- disproportionately affects women and girls, mm-hmm. and this is why we also have sort of like um, days like the International Day against the Elimination of Violence Against um, um, Women and Girls. Um, which is why we have 16 days of activism uh, as well um, to to recognise that that impact and 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 that effect. Um, but certainly, wherever possible, where there's opportunities to have activities that involve families as well, there will be an opportunity for for men to um, to also learn. Um, but it's also recognising as well, like you know, I guess in certain situations when we also look at immigration women are disproportionately sort of affected when we look at um the kinds of visas that women and children are on as well you know this kind of that sort of dependency um when we're kind of talking in the heteronormative context as well though it's quite interesting to see what will happen in terms of um um, same-sex marriage and and some of that visa stuff as well, and and this is not to say that, um, you know, family violence doesn't happen in those contexts because it, you know, the other thing to remember is that family violence can happen to anyone, um, across any culture or sort of you know sexual or, um, or sexuality or, or gender, um, but I guess our work is also in recognizing the the, the impacts. Of family violence when when they intersect with with things like being um, a migrant or or refugee and and being a woman, mm. yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, Grace, did you have any questions? Yes. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so I suppose like what I, what I was trying to aim with with uh, that question is that like often in. Um, uh, these sort of f- family violence or d- in the heteronormative perspective, um, it's always uh, that women find themselves, well, not find themselves, w- women are often victimised in, in, in 
these um, contexts, you know. So I was wondering if there was, like, I suppose, any way for, like, you know, and, and, and men are sort of just ignored or um, what do you call it? Um, not not blamed and not educated in the way that um, to, to prevent this sort of violence. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought maybe there would be something or there's I, I suppose there's a bit more awareness coming now that it's not just you know women that should be victimized yeah well i guess um d- definitely i i guess when you know i guess that if we're talking in a family context as well if we're reaching out to children those children can be you know can identify as either male or female but i guess when we're looking at sort of um power dynamics as well it's really important for for um, people who are experiencing family violence to know where to go, some of that early intervention and prevention stuff. And of course, some of that stuff can also happen in, in terms of educating men. Um, and that's, and, and that's definitely true. And I guess it's a, it's, it's a tricky space as as well how do we sort of achieve this in this and and i guess that's why we we're going out there to regional areas to sort of um find the services that exist and that will definitely be services that also include um uh you know intervention and prevention for men um uh definitely those services could include that but i think that what you find is especially when we sort of live in sort of like a a patriarchal society as well. I, I think that empowerment is is the key, um, and also having uh, people who sort of don't have the power. That shifting of power, and and I guess that knowledge is power as well. And and that's why we tend to have a focus on 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 people who are experiencing uh, family violence. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um- Great. Um, and was there anything else that you want to tell us about the program? Um, no. Uh, so Making the Links is is underway. We work in four LGAs in um, Bendigo, Ballarat, Mildura and Swan Hill. Um, but the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health is, um, as I said, a statewide service. And we've got a lot of um, different programs. We've got uh, programs that work with carers. Um, and, of course, we've got um, our training for, for service providers as well. Uh, and so it would be really great if you can sort of get in touch um we're always interested in in the work that services are doing as well and and that community is doing and we're really looking forward to um yeah working with community and all kinds of community great and and how do people get in touch um yeah so we've got a website um multicultural center uh, mcwh i think.com Yes. Okay. Yeah. Is phone number? Um, Yes, yes. Sorry, I'll put you on the spot. No, 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 that's fine. (laughs) That's fine. Um, I'm so sorry. Yes, the the phone number is um, 0394180999 and our website is www.mcwh.com.au and uh, yeah, we're also very active on Facebook and Twitter and um, those are some good ways to get in touch. Great. Thank you so much, Hope. Thank you. Celebrate International Day of People with Disability at the Victorian Disability Sport and Recreation Festival. Featuring over 30 exhibitors and three activity zones, come and try different modified sports and watch a disabled water skiing demonstration. This is a free, accessible, family-friendly event. 
Friday the 1st of December from 10am to 3pm at Crown Riverwalk. For more information, visit dsr.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Bisexual Alliance is a non-profit organisation dedicated to raising awareness and supporting people who are bisexual, people who are multi-gender attracted, their partners and their families. Bisexual Alliance runs several monthly discussion groups in and outside of Melbourne to offer support, a safe space to chat about your experiences and to explore others' experience of multi-gender attraction. These groups are for bisexuals, those who are questioning and their loved ones. For more information, visit bi-alliance.org or email Info at by-alliance.org. You are invited to Sampari Exhibition, celebrating West Papuan culture. Sampari, a series of events supporting the West Papuan people's goal for self-determination. Art, discussion, spoken word performance, debate and Melanesian food and culture. Friday, 8th December at 6pm, Till Sunday, 17th December. ACU Gallery, 26 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. Go to Sampari Exhibition Facebook or DFAIT West Papua website. Sampari, brought to you by Federal Republic of West Papua Women's Office, a 3CR supporter. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Sometimes when you need help most, it can be really hard to speak up. If you need things like food, a place to stay, or counselling support, there's no shame when you ask Izzy. AskIzzy.org.au is a website that helps you find what you need now and nearby. It's made for mobile and all searches are anonymous. Plus, there are no data fees if you're on the Telstra network. No shame, just ask Izzy. That's askizzy.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Okay, so that was Hope Matumbu uh, from the uh, Multicultural Centre for Women's Health, and she was speaking about a program that aims to support uh, cult- culturally and diverse and uh, linguistically diverse women living in regional Victoria to access mainstream family and domestic violence and sexual assault services. And up next, communication mixed downers Jung Langer caught up with Adam Noble, the digital coordinator of the National Marriage Equality Campaign, on the use and importance of social media in the Yes campaign. I wanted to locate our conversation specifically around those few months where the actual postal vote was being done. It was sent out in early September, came back early November. 
from the start of that period to the end, did you have any have to make any dramatic adjustments to the way you were using particularly social media and who you were targeting? Yeah, I think definitely. So, I mean, one of the things to remember about this is that it kind of sprung up really from nowhere uh, quite quickly. And this is kind of a process that Australians are not really used to. We are used to a compulsory voting system where we uh, turn up at a ballot day, we have a moment that we all vote together. And this idea of a postal survey being sent um, to your house where you vote in your own home um, and then you have to post it back is very, very, very strange. So I think online media played a really um, crucial role in kind of covering an entire continent mm-hmm. um, in terms of providing information um, to let people know what was happening, uh, how to request their new ballot papers if they'd lost theirs, how to post it back. And we also knew that people um, would post uh, within 24 hours of kind of 24 to 48 hours of receiving their survey. That's the time that they were most likely to vote. So the internet kind of allowed us to move really quickly on the front. And there were a few surprises along the way and a, a few different times that we had to change the way we communicated. So um, as an example, um, surveys arrive, arrived in uh, letterboxes much earlier than everyone predicted, including the government. Um, so early on, we had to communicate very quickly that survey papers are arriving right now, everybody. Um, and one of the ways that we kind of got that message out uh, online, which I think was really powerful, was we kind of created this idea of social reinforcement by encouraging people to post a photo of themselves posting their ballot back. Um, and it was a very orchestrated thing, but it became very organic and viral very quickly of, of people posting the photo of them taking that action and making a moment around the vote. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think one of the other things that we had to do over time was as we saw the different turnout um, results uh, through our polling, our private polling, um, of different age demographics, we had to sort of pivot and target different groups of people. So, um, you know, one of the groups that we were most concerned about at different times and, and d- it created mm-hmm. a lot of content for and encouragement for were young people. Yeah, I was going to, that's exactly what was, was my next question, Adam. Um, there was a lot of talk about young people not knowing what a letter was, not knowing how to post a letter in a, in a, in a, bo- in a post box. So you were dealing with this very much in terms of social media and me, me, social media messaging. How did you, how did you do all that? Yeah, I think it's one of the, the kind of interesting things about this, um, People early on predicted that the turnout rates could be as low as 40%. Um, and obviously, we've gotten to a great 79.5% of people posting their surveys back. I think the thing with young people is um, it's a little more complex and sometimes we like to talk about as well. Like Young people are also often renters. They are, uh, have been transient and moving between houses. And Regular listeners to the program will remember Dr. Margie Beavis, the president of the Medical Association for the Prevention of War, speaking about a planned venture between Australia's celebrated Royal Flying Doctor Service and Elbit Systems, Israel's biggest arms manufacturer, and that she had written to the Royal Flying Doctor Service board on behalf of MAPW, protesting the move which would totally discredit the organisation for aligning itself with Israel's biggest arms manufacturer, 
one of the world's most aggressive promoters of the use of drones in warfare as well as population control and is directly involved in the military aggression against the Palestinian people in the occupied West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. I spoke yesterday with Ahmed Salem, a committee member of the Palestine Support Network Australia, which was part of the campaign against the venture. Ahmed, when did you learn about the proposed venture between Albert and the Royal Flying Doctor Service? There could be more than one source of uh, news, really, but the one that uh, I can remember is an article in Sydney Morning Herald where it says Royal Flying Doctor Services gets an 18 million boost, and within that, of course, not all of them are from uh, Elbait. Uh, within that, there is the news about uh, Elbait system to open new training uh, center to provide the latest simulation and training equipment at its base in Dabo. Uh, they talk about Real Flying Doctors Base, of course. So the Elbait system in particular was providing the simulator for the pilots to be trained on uh, this particular aircraft, which uh, Real Flying Doctors uses, which is uh, Beechcraft, I think, Air King it's called. What was your first reaction when you heard this news? We were so shocked, of course. <laughs> you can imagine how you can feel when such iconic, prestigious, loved uh, non-profit organization goes in partnership or has any kind of uh, dealings, transaction dealings with an arm manufacturer which has notorious uh, reputation about manufacturing arms that causes death when one iconic uh, non-profit organization or what is about saving lives goes in partnership with a company manufacturing uh, uh, arm manufacturing company that has its profit model based on war obviously it's unethical and not welcomed by any person who has any uh, human rights passion or think about uh, the ethics of such a deal talk a bit more about albert and what their track history is well, we did research. We know about it before. Elbit is one of the biggest arms manufacturers in Israel. And we did a lot of research, and we found quite few disturbing information. It has provided 85% of drones used by Israeli army in attacks on Gaza. There were three wars, as you may know, between 2008 and 2014. These drones, different models of them, were one of the main equipments used to kill, including civilians, by, not by my uh, words, but by international organizations. And also, uh, it has been reported that, uh, in fact, Elbit systems themselves, in one of their financial uh, reports, say one of their subsidiary produced white phosphoric material which is illegal uh, by international law as well and that has been used as far as we understand. Did your network contact the board of the Flying Doctors with your concern about the impact this would have on their health and human rights image? We certainly did. That was in fact the very first action we've done. We wrote a letter to Royal Flying Doctors. We would like to believe that Royal Flying Doctors such prestigious, iconic, again, uh, Australian entity wouldn't 
go in partnership with such um, a company, arms manufacturing company, and we would like to believe that they didn't know, so that was the first action. They were s- slow in re- replying, I must say, and it's not only us. When, if you research, we can find, well, you can find a lot of people, really, people from different walks of life who have expressed concern about this partnership. But unfortunately, we didn't hear much. So the next step was to do an online petition, and there was about 900 people who signed the online petition. Including doctors? Well, when that also, we didn't hear answer. We did a few other things. Then we designed a postcard and had about 400, 500 people signing the postcards and posted them also to the Royal Flying Doctors. We still haven't heard. Then we asked a few medical doctors who were also very concerned about this partnership to write to the executives of Royal Flying Doctors. And almost at the same time, we've asked a few MPs who we know are human rights advocates to write to Royal Flying Doctors and voice their concern. And it seems after that, Trail Flying Doctors, look, may, they may have still really, I don't know what's behind the scene, I can't tell, but only after that there was an official letter from them for one of the MPs saying this has never really materialized. It was only a process of tendering when Elbit's uh, uh, name was up in the, in the media, but we never had any contract with them, and we are seeking other alternatives at the moment. And how long after did you get this reply, or did you have this message? It didn't take long, in fact, between the letter from the MPs and the reply to one of the MPs who, who was on the, uh, on the letter, who signed the letter. It was quite quick. They first requested a meeting, they clarified their position, and then they sent a letter saying, we are not going with this anymore. Did you also speak to representatives of the New South Wales government about Baird's visit? We did. In fact, there was a question by a Greens MP to the Minister of Resources, I presume. I just checked it, in fact, and uh, he asked a few things about this deal. But the answer was very short and didn't deal with the concerns and said New South Wales government is proud to, to be in partnership with Royal Flying Doctors and Elbay to proceed. So we were not really sure what's happening there. I presume, I'm guessing, I really don't know, that Royal Flying Doctors on one hand, of course, they went to progress with having state-of-the-art simulator training the pilots, but on the other hand, they were I presume, I hope to think that they were contemplating the ethical backfire of, for such a deal. And I, I would like really at the end of the day to thank them, so thank them really for their commitments to their guidelines and ethical standards by uh, revoking the deal. It's not right. And what many people would not know is that Albert has been in Australia for a number of years now and has actually got contracts with the Defence Force here in Australia and the AFP. They do. They do. I, From a quick uh, research, it seems to me they have really uh, contracts with hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe $180,000 million, I think. 
And uh, it is sad. It is very sad that uh, we get such uh, our manufacturer who uh, who they who market their products as to be combat uh, proven. Uh, in fact, one page on their site said they have been field tested, but they seem they have withdrawn this page. Like it is, uh, what can you say? This is a company uh, again that is commercially uh, based on model uh, profit model based on war and it is it is unfortunate that we deal with such uh, producer regardless of where it is from whether from Israel or any other uh, country uh, because uh, we we Royal Flying Doctors is saying sorry I come back to Royal Flying Doctors uh, uh, and say they said that it's not political and we would like to respect that and say fine that's not uh, doesn't matter for us. We hope it is based on ethical background, and that's good enough for us. It's fine. 3CR Breakfast would like to say thanks to program sponsor, the New International Bookshop, for the financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall at 54 Victoria Street, Carlton. Celebrate International Day of People with Disability at the Victorian Disability Sport and Recreation Festival. Featuring over 30 exhibitors and three activity zones, come and try different modified sports and watch a disabled water skiing demonstration. This is a free, accessible, family-friendly event. Friday the 1st of December from 10am to 3pm at Crown Riverwalk. For more information, visit dsr.org.au. 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Um, so that was Jan Bartlett talking to Ahmed Salim about um, the Flying Doctors Service and not um, Adam Noble talking about the marriage equality campaign due to uh, some technical difficulties that we had here in the studio. But we will bring you that conversation with Adam Noble talking about the equality campaign and the use of social media later in the program. Um, and now we're joined by Jane from Vixen. Hi, Jane. How are you going? Uh, great. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thanks for coming. Um, so can you just explain to us a little bit about what the Vixen Collective is and what you do and where you come from? Yeah, absolutely. So Vixen Collective is Victoria's peer-only sex worker organisation. And what that means is we're a organisation of um, current and former sex workers um, and we're sex worker only so every person who's involved in our organisation at every level is a sex worker and we specifically exclude owners, operators, managers, receptionists and ancillary workers so people that do other roles in the sex industry like drivers or cleaners Mm -hmm. so we are just for sex workers and we work on sex worker rights for Victorian sex workers, so we do advocacy to government and lobbying for sex worker um, law reform. We do peer support within our own community and skill shares um, and lots of work on the issues that affect sex workers' human rights. Cool. Um, so I think it was maybe last year that uh, the government, with their kind of new family violence rollout, um, gave some funding to Project Respect, which caused a lot of controversy and is continuing to do so. Can you explain why that is and what um, Vixen's position on that is? Yeah, and and look, there's a long history to that, um, Mm -hmm. and it's tangled up in a few things. One is that uh, Project Respect is what we would call 
an anti-sex work organisation. And what we mean by that is that it's it's an organisation that campaigns against the human rights of sex workers and specifically campaigns for what's called the Swedish or Nordic model Mm -hmm. of sex work criminalisation. So um, they want to end sex work to make it go away and in order to do that they want to make the conditions under which sex work occurs so harsh, so unpleasant that sex workers will stop doing it. And that's very unrealistic. That's not going to happen. Um, it's just going to make our lives worse. Mm-hmm. So obviously sex workers have very strong opinions about that because we'd like our working conditions to be better, not worse, um, and to have our human rights supported. So there's a long history in Victoria of protesting against groups like that and of protesting specifically against Project Respect. And actually we tend to call them Project Disrespect for that reason because they don't respect our human rights. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the Victorian government gave them um, first they gave them $40,000 and then they subsequently gave them another 300000 in December last year. Victorian sex workers were not pleased um, and certainly expressed that to Vixen Collective and also to our parent organisation, which is Scarlet Alliance, and that's the National Sex Workers Association. Mm-hmm. And so we spoke to government about that um, and spoke to media about that. Um, and look, it's an ongoing problem for us. And part of the problem is organisations like Project Respect attempt to speak on behalf of our community. And that takes up really critical space that sex workers need to speak about our own lives and about our work and be listened to rather than having other people speaking over the top of us. Um, what do they do? Like, what are the are they using that money to do programs or advocacy? Like, why do they need government? Fu- like, what are they doing with that money? Um, I think that's a bit mystical. We're not sure what they're doing with that money. <laughs> um, I'd like to know. Um, we did have some reports that they were handing out um, overdate food and Victorian brothels, and That's people nice. people made complaints to us. So I, I think yeah, it's really unclear. Um, and what is clear that if that money had gone to peer sex worker organisations, a lot of good could have been done with that money. So it's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, Vixen um, as an unfunded organisation, we've been here for more than twelve years. And we put a lot of energy with volunteers working with our, in our own community to do work that's necessary, and we could do a lot more if we were funded. Yeah. So it's a frustrating situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked before a little bit about the Swedish model and kind of the problems, a bit of the touched on a bit of the problems with that. But what is the state of play in Victoria or Australia with kind of sex worker rights? Um, it's complicated. Um, the laws here are state by state, so every state has a slightly different legislative environment, and that makes it really difficult for sex workers in Australia because a lot of us travel yeah. um, across the different states and territories to work, so it's incredibly confusing. In Victoria, we have what's called a licensing system, um, and what that means is some parts of sex work are still criminalised. For example, street-based sex work is still criminalised. Um, and the rest of sex work is heavily regulated. Now, that means that as opposed to other work, um, we have a whole bunch of rules and regulations about how, when, where, with whom um, we can work. And if we're not complying with all those rules all the time, then our work is essentially still criminalised. And it's incredibly complicated. You can be breaking the law simply because you don't fully understand the law because of how complicated it is. Mm -hmm. And it makes it very difficult to work. And often the law doesn't support our safety or our human rights. And that's very problematic. Yeah. What would it look like if 
suddenly tomorrow we wake up and you're in charge of policy in this area, what would be like Vixen's kind of end game of policy? And- it's pretty simple, um, I th- and I think pretty reasonable. We're not asking for some thing different to other workers. We're asking for exactly the same as everyone else. Um, we just want to be regulated like other workers, um, and that's what decriminalisation is. We're, and I think people get this wrong idea. They think we're asking not to be regulated at all. We just want to be regulated like other workers. And decrim is the removal of criminal laws, mm-hmm. um, which allows sex work to be regulated like other work. Yeah. Um, also, I've been hearing whispers of things in the Greens, maybe with somebody that works at Project Respect. Yes. Um, so speak about that as well? So sex workers have um, protested the pre-selection of Kathleen Maltzen for the Victorian Greens. Now, Kathleen Maltzen is also the founder of Project Respect, so there's a long history of those things being protested because they're tied together. But with the pre-selection of Kathleen Maltzen for the seat of Richmond for the Victorian Greens, it's problematic because one Kathleen Maltzen has on the record said that she would um, vote for criminalisation of sex work if she got the opportunity to do so but it's problematic in um, relation to the Victorian Greens because their policy supports the decriminalisation of sex work both at a state and a federal level mm-hmm. so that the Greens have selected a candidate or allowed a candidate to be selected for their party that opposes their own policy would seem to be rather contradictory. <laughs> um, so sex workers in Victoria are extremely concerned about that. Yeah. It's in- like, just in my brain while you're saying that, I'm like, I wonder if there would be other aspects of their policy that people didn't dis- that people disagreed with. Like I'm imagining that they wouldn't get pre-selected. And yeah. it's like, why is it this issue that's allowed to have that disjunction between her views and what she says publicly and the policy of the party Mm. well I think there's a difference between having a disagreement with certain things in a party's policies Mm. and selecting someone who basically shouldn't pass their probity checks so if the Greens shouldn't be running someone that doesn't support people's basic human rights they wouldn't run someone who was for example homophobic they would get that that wasn't a fundamentally okay thing to do. Mm. But the stigma against certain members of community, for example, trans people, sex workers, drug users, is still so high that they look at someone who has negative attitudes towards someone from our community and they think, that's not a problem. Um, And I think that's what's going on internally within the Victorian Greens, and it should be a problem, and we need to call it out as being a problem. Yeah. Um, You touched on a bit there, but what kind of stigmatisation and what are the effects of that on the community? Massive, um, ongoing, all the time. Um, And look, one of the key things that we see is in the Victorian media, um, there's so much stigma still perpetuated against sex workers. Mm -hmm. And part of the big problem is that it's seen as acceptable. Um, And a constant thing that our organisation has to do is push back against that. When we get negative stories and negative uh, terminologies used, to refer to our community and stigmatising um, language and stereotypes. Um, and you see that play out constantly in reporting on sex work and sex workers. Then we have to constantly address that. And we're constantly on the phone to journalists. And look, we do have good journalists and we do have media outlets that are better. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a constant battle to try and get representations to actually better match the reality of our lives and the reality of our work. It's a constant battle. Yeah. Um, 
Cool, we might wrap it up, but is there anything else that you want to touch on or let us know about Vixen's work or things that are happening? Um, if people want to support us, follow us on Twitter, um, check out our website, um, get involved. We always need more allies. Um, we're an unfunded organisation. Give us money. Um, <laughs> we'd like to do more. Um, check out the work that we have done. Uh, we did important reforms on rape sentencing guidelines in mm. October last year, which affected not just sex workers but victims of um, sexual assault generally in Victoria. Mm-hmm. So we punch above our weight as an unfunded organisation and we'd like to do more, help us do more. Yeah. Like I said, I, we're going to wrap up, but can you just explain like what the changes were with that legislation? Yeah, and look, that was a really important reform. Um, for 36 years, it, part of the rape sentencing guidelines for Victorian judges were that it was allowable to give sex, um, offenders that sexually assaulted sex workers a reduced sentence based on the fact the victim was a sex worker because we were not chaste women, and it did specifically say chaste women. Um, Therefore, we didn't uh, suffer the effects of sexual assault like other victims did. And obviously that's horrifying, um, but that's what it said. Um, And look, you can read more about that. There's a section on our website under media releases that talks about that decision. That affected not only sex workers, obviously, but other victims of sexual assault. And when we got that changed, we changed not only that section, but a section that applied that philosophy, if you want to call it that, to other victims as well. The fact that that was there for 36 years was terrible. And that sort of thinking affected cases like the Adrian Bailey case, and it affects the sentencing patterns that are applied to victims of crime from members of our community. And we have yet to see if there's going to be subsequent change in judicial attitudes because even though it's not on the books anymore, yeah. obviously there's still an impact in terms of sentencing patterns. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thank you very much for coming in um, to the studio and having a chat with us. That was no. really great. Thanks for having me. Thanks. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Disability Day 2017. 3CR from 7am to 7pm on Sunday, December the 3rd. Most of the shows you know, with lots of surprises chucked in along the way. Go to 3cr.org.au to check out the grid for the day. You'll enjoy it. You are invited to Sampari Exhibition, celebrating West Papuan culture. Sampari a series of events supporting the West Papuan people's goal for self-determination. Art, discussion, spoken word performance, debate and Melanesian food and culture. Friday, 
8th December at 6pm till Sunday, 17th December. ACU Gallery, 26 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. Go to Sampari Exhibition Facebook or DFAIT West Papua website. Sampari, brought to you by Federal Republic of West Papua Women's Office, a 3CR supporter. Join us to mark 100 years since the serenading of Adela Pankhurst, imprisoned at Pentridge for her anti-war activities. Serenading Adela, a street opera, recreates the summer night when hundreds of supporters sang socialist songs and cooed over the prison walls. Come along to Pentridge on Sunday the 7th of January or catch our December preview. It's all free. For details, search Serenading Adela or email serenadingadela at gmail.com. A 3CR supporter. Okay, so now we've got uh, Hope Matumbu, uh, who speaks to Maya, who's a soul singer and songwriter based in Melbourne. And they'll be discussing the upcoming launch of her debut EP, Future Soul, as well as her collaboration with local designers. With me on the line, I have Maya. Maya is a soul singer and songwriter from Melbourne who's been working in the industry for 10 years and is just about to release her debut EP, Future Soul. Hi, Maya. Thank you so much for speaking with us on 3CR Breakfast. Hi. Thank you for having me. Um, so in, can you tell us a little bit about your work and who you are? Well, I, um, I'm a singer, <laughs> songwriter, and I've just been kind of working for a long time now in the music industry and kind of crafting away before many venues. And now I'm just about to release, yeah, all my music that I've been working on for the last two years or so. Yeah. And what what sort of music do you do? It's kind of like electronic soul right now. It's um, really kind of like soul, jazzy, R&B vocals over quite... I don't know. I would say it's electro-pop, maybe. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of just figuring out my exact genre right now. Yeah, but, you know, sometimes I guess with music, labels just don't just don't cut it. Sometimes it can box you in. Yeah, it's hard because I just love a bit of everything. So I definitely feel like it's hard to be one genre. Mm. And what motivated you to get into music? So you've been doing this for 10 years. What's kept you going? Well, my father's a musician, so we always played together. And I think I just never wanted to be anything else. So <laughs> I've just kind of kept trying. And now it's, it's, it's working out as a full-time career, so that's great. And do you play any instruments yourself? What, what have you learned from, from your father in terms of um, your craft? Well, I, I can play the piano, and I can also play a bit of cello. <laughs> And tell over from dinosaur, not my father, but yeah, my dad definitely kept me in the loop. I think I'm going to go to guitar now because I just think it's great when a girl can slash an amazing electric guitar lead. So that's my next goal. And um, at the moment, uh, the single that you've released is called What We Are Worth. Yes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that song? It's It's really beautiful, by the way. I really love it. Thank you. It's, um, 
I tried to be quite outrageous with the backing because I think I wanted to almost shock people away from how intense I was kind of through the lyrics. Um, I just think I think the right messages need to be portrayed in music and to respect our earth is probably one of the biggest important factors of this new generation, I think, in ways being. So I try to put that into my music. Yeah. Without being too attacking and saying, like, look, you need to do this, you need to... I try to open up a bit more about myself so that people would see that I feel like I haven't done the best job either, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and that it's 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 a growing... Um, you know, we're always growing. We can we can be better. Exactly, yeah. And you can just try every day instead mm. of admitting defeat. Um, and, and I feel like that... Um, you know, but in order to try, you also have to to realize the worth and value in sort of keeping up the the fight, so to speak. Yeah. Um. So, so I really love that message, actually. Thank you. Yeah. What we are worth. The song is part of your EP, um, Future Soul. Um. Can you tell us a bit about about what it was like? How long did the process take, and what can people expect from from the EP? Well, it took quite a while this one because I I um I was trying to figure it out I guess and I didn't want to put out anything that didn't represent me in the right way so a lot of the music on this EP changed a lot over time that's why it's taken about two years but I feel like it's it's not my most amazing work that will come I know there's really amazing stuff which I've just done earlier this year <laughs> but I'm excited because it's it's a level of myself that I'm opening up to people and it's a bit more real some of the interludes are just <laughs> me jamming on myself <laughs> <laughs> so it's there's a lot of weird stuff in there but it's good it's real yeah and um and so you'll be launching it at the Nightcat on December 1st on Friday. Um so can you tell us a bit about what we can expect from that night? What time does it start? It starts at 9:30 and it's honestly it's I've just put so much energy and love into this and I've got a lot of designers coming in. Sorry. I've got um Renews Designs, Mocha Designs, making my friend Belinda, they're all selling and modeling their clothes at the event. So it's going to be, there's also a few artists selling their works, and I've got about six loads of dancers in different genres. It's just incredible. So I put a lot of energy into it in my brain. I just kind of wanted to organize uh, as much as I could to build this happiness in people in live music. Yeah. Um, and that's really amazing that you've incorporated uh, some some fashion and some clothes. And, and for our listeners, they may remember that we spoke with uh, the, the designer um, uh, from Remuse, uh, Tamara, who's who's very talented, who's very lovely and 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 makes some 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 really awesome garments. So that's really amazing that you've also got this visual aspect um, to something that's, you know, to something that's also quite oral. Yes, and that's why, like, tomorrow, and when I met her, we just connected straight away, and I just knew I had to kind of come together with her to make something, and, yeah, it's going to be, I've put, I'm, I'm getting a massive marquee, like a big festival tent, 
and putting it up in the nightcap. <laughs> and she's going to have her clothes on display and various models around the room. So, um, yeah, from 9.30 till 10.30 is going to be when most of that action is on. Great. Well, uh, we're really looking forward to that. And so if people uh, want to find out more um, about about the launch or connect with your music, where can they go? They can just go straight to my website, which is maya, M-A-Y-A, officialmusic.com.au, or just type in Maya What After Now to Google. <laughs> and it comes up with all of my stuff, which is fun. Because what after now? What are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. And is there a Facebook page for the event? Yes, there is. It's just under, so it's just under Maya at the Nightcap. It will come up. Great. <coughs> um, and so for our listeners, I think we'll finish it up with, with your track, What We Are Worth, um, yeah. so they can have a listen. And hopefully we'll be able to, to catch you on Friday, the 1st of December, for the launch of your EP, Future Soul. Thank you. Thank you so much for speaking with us on 3CR Breakfast, Maya. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. If you're just tuning into 3CR Breakfast, I was speaking with Maya. Maya is a soul singer and songwriter from Melbourne who's been working in the industry for 10 years and is just about to release her debut EP, Future Soul. And from that EP, um, we have a single called What We Are Worth. Nobody, nobody My disguise, past all the lies I feel in my mind. As I see through past everything I need to do, what do I prove? What do I give? What do I give? What do I give in my soul? And what do I owe to anyone at
So that was uh, Maya's song with What We Are Worth. As Hope mentioned in the interview, um, Maya's debut, that's a really hard word to say, Um, the debut EP, Future Soul, is being launched tomorrow night. For more information, you can check out mayaofficialmusic.com.au or check her out on on Facebook. Okay, so Victoria has become the first state in the country to legalise assisted dying for the terminally ill, with MPs voting to give patients the right to request a lethal drug to end their lives from mid-2019. So to dissect a bit of some issues surrounding uh, the bill, we've got Shakira Hussein on the line, who's written extensively on uh, euthanasia, or how she terms it, medically assisted suicide. Hi, Shakira. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, So you've written extensively on uh, euthanasia or medically assisted um, dying or suicide, as you call it, um, and its dangers. So why are you opposed to it and what are the dangers? Well, I'll just start with the language. The fact that it has been re-termed as medically assisted dying really should be a warning bell that something ugly is going on because when you want people to accept something that might otherwise be regarded as you know, as unacceptable, as outside moral boundaries, well, the first thing you do is pretty it up. The first thing you do is find another name for it. It's really quite Orwellian. So I am, that is a term I am never going to use. We are talking about assisted suicide at best, killing people at worst. You know, it, 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 and um, it, it, I think it's, but well, actually not at worst, but is bluntly what you are doing. Um, and killing people who've consented to be killed is still, that's, that is still, I think, as Paul Keating said, um, stepping over a moral Rubicon, not his exact term, but but that's uncharted territory. And I think it's very disturbing. I don't regard this as a progressive move at all, quite the opposite. It's a move that is very favoured by powerful white men. It's not a move that favours the lives of vulnerable people and those who are living in vulnerable communities who have reasons to know that making autonomous decisions within a medical system that is, you know, loaded with all the prejudices and faults of wider society, there's, there's no such thing as making it an autonomous choice in those circumstances. At a time when there's been extensive media coverage of, you know, the, um, of the sometimes fatal failings of the aged care system, when disabled people are still being subjected to sexual violence and rape and sometimes murder within um, w- within the um, system that's meant to support them, and we're meant to think that this medically assisted dying is going to work in a way that's equitable and it's going to protect the lives of the most vulnerable. I don't fucking think so. Excuse language. That's okay. Um, so uh, it, you flagged in one of your articles uh, last year um, that according to studies, African-Americans are significantly, significantly less likely to support euthanasia. In the, and I suppose in the context of, of Black Lives Matter, you said yourself, it's not totally paranoid to be concerned about the implications of me- medically assisted suicide. So what's the broader context here? What are the implications? Yeah. But, um, okay, 
Well, that people who are from particular backgrounds in particular communities don't have equitable access to health care and would not be making, likely to be have, getting the same range of medical options made available to them and um, in terms of their treatment, in terms of their support. And so in, the choice that they might have would be to a life that to continue to you know to be alive with a disease for which they were not getting adequate pain management and I speak to myself at various points where I've been in you know suffering very high levels of physical pain but told that there was no appointment available in a pain pain management oh, clinic for Shakira, like can, you, can you explain uh, why you were suffering this pain pain oh yes yeah, sorry I have multiple cirrhosis which I will add, um, and I'm not quite sure what form the legislation eventually went through, but at a late stage in debate, it was that um, neurodegenerative diseases like multiple cirrhosis, the, um, the, the, amendment, the legislation was amended so that rather than being able to, to kill yourself, to, to have medically assisted suicide, within tw- if you'd been diagnosed, that you would die within 12 months it's now six months unless you have a neurodegenerative disease like motor neuron disease or multiple cirrhosis we can kill ourselves within 12 months of a um of, of within 12 months of when we would have be expected to have died anyway so you know um i feel so special mm. Um, and so I, I suppose a lot of this debate, um, so, so you said just before, um, has been quite polarised. So if you're progressive, you support the, um, the bill. And if you're, if you're sort of uh, reactionary, uh, you, you don't support the bill because you, a, a lot of people, a lot of opponents have been um, e- either uh, quite religious or, for example, Tony Abbott, who uh, tweeted this morning uh, that a future Victorian parliament should have the moral decency to repeal this euthanasia bill. No one should be told that their lives are not worth living and that they're a burden. And you yeah, know all the things like that come Tony with Abbott, Tony Abbott. Abbott. Enemies. <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, so, how how political has the polarization become? Oh, extremely political. It angers me that so much of the commentary represents opponents as being the Tony Abbott end of the spectrum. Andrew Denton is a um, repeat offender on that front. I wrote at one point that I wish that the late and much missed. Disability activist Stella Young was still with us to kick his ass for the way that he um, claimed that you know that opposition to euthanasia was from religious conservatives. He invited me to coffee where I reiterated this. He continues to state it. Just in the last oh month, couple of months, I saw him again saying that all opposition to euthanasia always came from a religiously or just battle always came from a religious perspective. If you just dug deeply enough. Come on, I can point him towards plenty of queer, atheist, rad femme, radical opponents of euthanasia who happen to be disabled, or, you know, I don't think they regard it as happening to be disabled, who are disabled. And and we're just erased from this. Our voices are, are regarded as irrelevant. We're just all puppets of the Catholic Church. And like in Paul Keating... All of a sudden, you know, everybody's saying, oh, well, it's, it's Keating's Catholicism coming to the fore. Right. He's divorced. He's living with a woman who he is not married to. 
but he can't express an opinion on, on euthanasia without being suddenly the Pope pulling his strings. Come on. <laughs> Um, so the current reporting um, uh, seems to over- overlook uh, people living with disabilities. Yeah, it is. And this, well, the fact that our voices are so erased from the debate, you know, really doesn't, I think, augur well for this idea that it's going to be so safe and so protected. And it, well, and, and I'm so sick of being told it's not about you, it's about people with terminal illness. If it's not about anybody but the people who this legislation if it's only about the people who strictly fit the criteria of the current legislation then why is it is the one one of state government minister who said that she supported the legislation because she'd seen the suffering that her mother with multiple cirrhosis went through and even though her mother would only use this legislation if she got diagnosed with a terminal illness, but the fact that she has MS makes her realise, you know, why it's needed. And another um, MP reduced the chamber to tears talking, and and I, of course it's an incredibly tragic and moving story about her 13-year-old daughter dying of cancer. But again, this is a case that would not be, um, you know, applicable under the current legislation. So if it's only affecting the people who would be strictly eligible under the current legislation, and that's all it's about, and it's not about anybody else, then why is a 13-year-old girl and a woman with multiple cirrhosis, why are they even being discussed in terms of it? Now, I can see why those people thought that their experience was relevant, but you can't have it both ways. You can't say it only applies to people who are within six months you know, of dying anyhow, or 12 months if you happen to have MS or motor neuron disease, and then say that, and and then cite those other external cases in in its support. It's cases that fall outside those boundaries. Mm. It seems that uh, the way it's sort of conceptualised now is that some lives are more important than others. Yeah, I regard it that way. And um, disability activist um, Liz um, Carr visited from the United Kingdom and she, like Andrew Denton, keeps citing, and, and of course the Senate committee, that they've travelled internationally and done, you know, research in locations where it's already been legalised and so on. Well, Liz Carr has done the same, you know, despite, um, you know, the, the impairments of her physical mobility. She is in a wheelchair. She might be familiar to some of your listeners as the, um, from the um, ABC, well, it's screened on the ABC drama The Silent Witness. She also travelled internationally, and she told activists when she visited that there has um, that it has um, always expanded beyond the you know the original boundaries. It has always been people outside of what it was originally stated to have happened. Also, that it isn't always painless, and that it can be very slow, and that the, and in her words, the velvet pillow is just a myth. You know, and I can see the appeal of this sort of fantasy, you know, where your family and friends are all there, you have your final goodbye, they're holding your hand, and you just, in, in Denton's words, go gently. You know what? They, you know, can we put that into the context of the original poem and do not go gently? I mean, I, Kay, I don't want to go dying, raging, the dying of the light, and so on. But I think this, it's, it's a myth to think that you're going to go gently. And also, one thing that isn't discussed much is that if it's so strict, 
there's a, if you know if you have to meet these criteria, then there will be some people who will seek it and will be knocked back, or you know. And what is the impact of, of, of for them of, t- of telling them, oh well, no, sorry, you're not eligible, and you have to keep going. I can only imagine the anger, given how angry people are at not being able to obtain it now when it isn't you know available under the law. So if people are going to be um, rejected for it, then you know, then that, how are we going to, you know, is, is anybody assessing whether that's going to make it more difficult for them, harder for them to come to terms with, you know, and find any kind of peace with um, with their leaving, or are we meant to think that actually people won't get knocked back? Mm-hmm. You know, that that that's you know, that anybody who seeks it, you know, and is remotely um, within the ballpark of eligible will actually get it. I mean, like most people, by the time they get to middle age, I've known, you know, friends and family members who at least in one po- at one point said, oh, no, 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 just kill me now. I can't go on. And I remember one aunt got very angry with her doctor when he refused and said, oh, he'd do it if it was his own mother. You know, and I don't know if they continue to feel that way. And I, of course, can't also know whether they would have been able to get the end that they sought if this legislation was in place. But, you know, I, um, but I also know that it was the fact that it wasn't available to them meant that they did, they, you know, they didn't spend the rest of their time in the, on, on this earth they didn't spend the rest of their time screaming in pain and angry they we do have some happy memories of times with them after that point where they asked to be you know killed mm-hmm. and they, we did have another happy christmas with that particular aunt she gave us all you know items of her jewelry she seemed to be at peace she actually ended up outliving the husband who she yelled at to help her die but um but uh- Shakira, Shakira I think that's all we have time for today. But thank you so much for coming on. And um, that's lo- lots to think about um, in terms of dismantling the narrative. Thank you. Okay, thanks for having me. Bye. So that was Shakira Hussein, uh, who uh, special or who uh, writes extensively on uh, euthanasia coming from a, a disability background. So is there an event? Yes. So uh, Milo Yiannopoulos is coming to, well, actually, he's just landed in Australia um, and he's going to um, be hosting some events in in Melbourne on Monday. Who is this guy? Uh, He's a total... (laughs) Okay, wait, I won't even say it. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on air now. Okay. Um, So, um, well, as news.com.au... Puts it, he's a controversial right-wing speaker. Um, And I find it quite, actually quite uh, problematic the way that um, some media outlets have been um, uh, describing uh, Milo. Um, So, uh, for example, in this news.com.au article, um, he's described as a controversial political commentator and internet supervillain. So that sort of you know, glorifies him in a way. Mm. Um, he's actually a complete uh, racist um, 
not he's not homophobic, but he's a complete uh, <laughs> racist and Islamophobe um, who goes around saying that America should be g- made great again and and that sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, I f- yeah. What were you going to say? <laughs> oh, I was just going to ask, like, why why isn't he homophobic? Because he is gay and he appeals to um, that sort of class of um, – and he's been university educated and et cetera. And usually um, people on the, on, the, on the far right are sort of like uh, described as, um, you know, sort of like uh, these gruffy, um, uh, you know um, – if, yeah, homophobic, um, you know, poorly educated type of, of, of person. Um, so this Milo actually appeals to that sort of uh, yuppie, um, if I can say that, <laughs> um, class um, who actually have the same sort of ideas as this sort of far right. So, um, as, yeah. Um, He's also anti-gay marriage, yeah? Is he? I'm pretty sure he is. Okay, did I just say something stupid then? No, he doesn't say <laughs> no. anything stupid. Um, yeah, so um, he's he thinks Muslims. Um, so he thinks uh, Muslims should be uh, ex- expelled back to the Middle East, um, and he, that we should uh, relive the sort of uh, uh, white glory of of yesteryear. Um, so anyway, he's coming, um, and I don't know if in the media we should be uh, talking about him specifically or about his ideas. Is it dangerous talking about him and giving him more attention? Should we just be talking about um, the ideas um, and dismantling the ideas? Uh, but then as um, Amir Rahman says, um, maybe we should just be punching Nazis in the face. <laughs> why, should we be, why should we be debating um, these ideas? In the, in, wait, why should we be debating them in the marketplace of ideas? That's, I think he said something like that. Um, which are questions that I think we should be asking ourselves. Mm. Especially also in the news I heard on the way in um, that Donald Trump has retweeted some Britain First videos. So Britain First are a fascist organisation. Um, and it's hard to keep up sometimes because there's so many like splinter groups, especially in England and America and even here. Um, but, yeah, some really Islamophobic stuff that he has retweeted recently as well. So it's like... Yeah, do we just target these people individually, like you were saying, like Trump and Miley Yiannopoulos and other people, or is it more like trying to counter those arguments as a whole level of society? And how do we how do we do that? Is I don't know. Yeah, how do we, it's like the same sort of debate on like um, so especially that was happening a few a few years ago, and that always happens um, on on uh, climate change. Like you know, obviously there's still like a lot of money being put. Uh, behind climate change denial Mm. Um, and should we be debating this in media should we be debating if climate no we Mm. should be moving beyond that yeah cool so what happened on the show today sherry Okay, what did happen on the show? Um, so we had, uh, firstly, we had Hope Matumbu who came in uh, to speak about a project that aims to support culturally and linguistically diverse women living in regional Victoria to access mainstream family and domestic violence and sexual assault services. Um, and then we were meant to have Adam Noble. <laughs> uh, we had Jan Bartlett talking to Ahmed Salim about um, the flying doctor service and the militarisation of that. 
Yeah, and then again we had um, Hope who spoke to Maya, a soul singer and songwriter based in Melbourne, and they discussed the upcoming launch of her debut EP, Future Soul, as well as her collaboration with local designers. Um, And then we talked to Jane from the Vixen Collective and we talked about um, Project Respect and how they got some government funding even though they're an anti-sex work organisation and also kind of what's going on with anti-sex work, with sex worker rights in Victoria as well. Um, And then uh, Shakira um, uh, dissected some of the issues uh, surrounding the uh, legalisation of assisted dying for, um, as they they term it, uh, terminally ill, um, or as Shakira terms it, um, assisted suicide. Um, And that was our show. And tune in tomorrow for more 3CR Breakfast. And Up Now is Lost in Science, and we, we, we will be back next week. Thanks. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.